Our scripture reading for today is from 1 Peter verses 5 1 Peter 5 verses 5 Like likewise you who are younger be subjected to elders clothe yourself all of of you with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble This is God's word Thanks be to God Thank you Lucy In January Lucy turned 10, uh, and that means that all my kids, and now she's my youngest, and uh, they're all in the double digits. Uh, so I've got two tweens and one teenager, um, which is wild. Um, of course, as kids get older, they're becoming increasingly independent. Um, so Shepard rides the bus to basketball practice. Uh, the girls can walk to get boba with friends. They spend the night at other people's houses. It's pretty fun. Uh, but there's obviously some anxiety as a parent when you start to sort of let them move further and further out from you. I remember last year when Shepard wanted to go to the movies uh, with his friends, no adults, for the first time. And I was like, I don't know, man. And you know, he replies, Dad, like nothing's going to happen to us. To which I replied, um, I'm not really worried about anything happening to you, right? Like, I'm worried about the people that you're going to share a movie theater with and your five middle school friends. Like, that's what I'm concerned about, okay? And truly, that is a big fear as a parent. How is my kid going to act when I'm not around and able to do my, like, scary dad death skit stare, right? Um, teenage boys don't yet have a fully developed uh, frontal cortex, and so a lot of his good behavior depends on me triggering the fear centers of his brain, right, like that are still there. And so, um, as an aside, I felt like I was winning as a parent when Shepard informed me I was a teacher at a school uh, for a season, and he told me that his friends like me, but they're scared of me. And that's like the lane that I want to be in as a dad. <laughs> I want to be liked and scary. Those are the, those are the things. Um, but I'm not always there to be scary, and so what do you do as a parent? Uh, one of the strategies that Maggie and I employ that I think probably lots of parents do is just the last minute reminders as you're like ushering them out. You just say like seven things, seven moral reminders. Um, don't forget to say thank you, be respectful, don't do anything stupid, don't climb in anything that's not supposed to be climbed on, no food fights. Like you're just sort of like walking through the things as you close the door. Uh, they love it. And, um, but I really kind of feel like the final section of 1 Peter reminds me of this final litany of reminders. It's really less organized. Um, it's sort of a bunch of statements sort of strung together. We've got just nine verses left in the book. He's running out of parchment. It's about to be sent with the courier. It even ends, the very last verse is greet one another with a kiss of love, which feels like a very parental thing to say, right? That's like, dad, gross, don't do that, you know? Um, but like, that's what the end of the book is. Um, Peter's already covered the bulk of what he wants to say. So the main points, the main thing that he's been addressing um, has already been done. And so he's really not sharing anything new or groundbreaking. He's wrapping up his letters with a few final reminders. Don't forget this or this. Oh, and be sure and do this. And so that's sort of the context for this section. And yet, as Christians, we know that none of these are throwaway verses uh, because he's the Apostle Peter. And so his final last-minute reminders are worth paying attention to. And not only that, we believe that this 
these verses, even the sort of final verses, constitute the very word of God. Um, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they are worth our time. And I experienced a bit of this week. I had planned to preach on six verses, but I found myself so struck by just this one, um, which is pretty rare for me, where it's like, no, we, we actually just need to like sit in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. And um, I really wanted to respond to this section like my kids responded to me, where it's just like, I know, it's like, I get it, you know, and we're just trying to get through the book. Um, But I couldn't get past it because these are words from our Father to us. And so let's pray and ask God to sort of flush out, or I need to ask God, you may not too, but I need to ask God to flush out this sort of teenage angst in my heart and ask him to open our ears to hear the word of life. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are, th- are thankful that you are a good father to us and that there is no wasted word in all of Scripture. Uh, we're thankful for the book of 1 Peter. We're thankful for the wisdom and experience um, on display in the Apostle Peter. Um, we're thankful for all the things that we have learned uh, thus far the ways that you have convicted us and shaped us over the course of this book. And I pray that you would speak to us, even in this final litany of instructions, these parental reminders that Peter wants to give to our church, that the Holy Spirit wants to give. Uh, Would you help us to receive it? Um, Even the things that we know, um, would we take these reminders to heart, um, and may they penetrate our soul and lead us to life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if I had to summarize 1 Peter 5, 5 with a phrase, <clears throat> I think it would be, remember your place. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Remember your place. Uh, It's not something that we ever really want to be told to us, Um, but it's often something that we need to hear um, to sort of pause and position ourselves in the story, in a room, um, in relationship, and, and act humbly and wisely. Uh, This verse connects with the previous section on pastors, elders, uh, which we preached through uh, last week, verses 1 through 4. It offered instruction and encouragement to pastors. And so verse 5 really shifts that focus from pastors to non-pastors and encourages them to submit themselves to their elders. Um, and, And the thing, the logic is... Uh, If your pastors are trustworthy in the way that they have been described in verses 1 through 4, if verses 1 through 4 describe your pastors, uh, if they consistently bear witness to the gospel, to Christ's suffering and glory, if they pastor the flock of God among them and so aren't sort of after some other uh, pasture elsewhere, but are faithful to the people in front of them. Uh, If they consistently give more than they get, if they live generously and sacrificially and are not after themselves, after uh, shameful gain, um, and if they lead by example and not through domineering behavior, um, if that accurately, fully describes your pastor, um, if those things are true, you should trust them and be subject to them. Uh, submission is a hard word, though, 
Um, some of that is because of our own baggage, um, our own experience, cultural and personal. And we should name that, but it's also just hard. Like, it, it's always hard, uh, no matter your experience. And that's because submission really is only ever needed in disagreement, right? If submission is only about times where there's consensus and agreement, it's kind of just a meaningless word. Um, it's an empty word. And so submission always involves disagreement, or at least times when we aren't sure. And so that's why the process of becoming an elder is so arduous, um, because we want to be very, very careful before we give someone that mantle. Um, we want uh, members of the church to follow elders as their shepherd, even when it's dark and confusing outside. When it's foggy and we actually don't know where to go, um, we want to make sure that elders are trustworthy. The, church, the church's unity is tested in conflict. Um, that is when unity is on display. We can't really claim unity as a church family until we have stuck together through disagreement. Um, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis's description of courage in the screw tape letters. Uh, he describes courage as not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And so, for example, it's easy to find joy when everything's going well, to find joy in God. True joy, courageous joy, is demonstrated when joy is tested and we remain joyful when things aren't going well. That's where uh, joy is tested. And the same goes for unity. Any church can display unity when everyone agrees about everything. Like, that's easy. That's not really unity. Courageous unity, godly unity is displayed when we remain together, when we still love each other and fight for each other through disagreement. But that is super hard. It requires courage in, on, for everyone, um, which is why unity in Scripture is always paired with humility. It's, they always go together. So you see that in Ephesians 4. Unity and humility are right next to each other, and you see that here. There is no unity apart from humility. It's impossible. It requires it from everyone, pastor and non-pastor. So the middle part of 5.5, five, clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another. And so it's not just required for the young person being asked to submit to their elder, um, that they need to be humble, but the elder doesn't have to be. Um, all of you, all of us must be clothed with humility. In the ancient world, your clothing was a signal of cultural power, how you dressed. Even more than today, you could locate someone's class just by what they wore. Um, and that's because there were certain looks, uh, certain dyes and colors that only came in expensive imported fabric. Um, I was reading um, devotionally this morning from Luke, and it talks about a man uh, with, who always wore purple. Why is that significant? It's not just because it was his favorite color. It's because purple was only available to very, very wealthy people. And so it signaled his wealth. Um, and so it's very countercultural for Peter to tell the church, clothe yourself with humility. Because that was the opposite purpose of clothes. We were supposed to clothe ourselves for pride, for show, for power. But Peter calls us to clothe ourselves with humility. Humility was not a virtue in the ancient world. 
Um, it is a uniquely Judeo-Christian virtue. If you read um, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Roman philosophers, they uh, denigrate humility. It's a sign of weakness. And so it's only with Christ and the example of Christ that humility becomes a virtue. And so you, um, in the wider world, you weren't only entitled to use power, you were expected to use power. And so you were not supposed to act beneath you. Um, that would have been uh, disruptive to the culture, which is exactly what Jesus wants to do, right? Um, and so when Peter tells the church to clothe themselves with humility, he is inviting them to a different way of being. Peter is instructing the church to stop working so hard to display your power and instead work hard to display your weakness, your lowliness, your willingness and readiness to serve. Let there be no doubt in anyone's mind that you are simply a servant of God and so a servant of man. This is really why I wanted to camp out on this verse. Some of you guys might have been nervous when I was like, we're like, I really want to focus on this verse and it's all about submission to elders. <laughs> um, that could have gone badly. Um, but I, I just was so struck with how humility is, is again, not a virtue that we think about very often. Um, that we really would strive to clothe ourselves with humility. And it just felt worth sitting in this. Paul tells the church in Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor. What would that look like for us to outdo one another in showing honor? Jesus tells his disciples, but many who are first will be last in the last first. Again and again, the ethic of the kingdom is competitive humility where we are competing with one another, a downward mobility which is the complete opposite of our world, which is encouraging upward mobility, is um, encouraging uh, resume virtues, like all those sorts of things. But here, Peter is asking us to clothe ourselves with humility. What would it look like as citizens for us to do that, both among one another here in this community, but also out in the world as we move out in a world that's doing quite the opposite? How can we signal a readiness to serve? a willingness to follow? Do we dress differently? And that, that's one way that you could have done it in the ancient world. I wonder if that's a way that, that we could do it here. It's an honest question. Like, what if I thought about humility in the way that I dressed? What if I spent money in a humble way because I, didn't, I wasn't pretending to be more than I am, which is sort of like, credit card obsession, right? I'm pretending to actually have more than I have. But actually, I'm, I'm not even pretending to be at my like deserved uh, station. I'm spending money in a humble way. Are there unique ways we should speak that honor one another? Um, I'm reminded of the musical Hamilton when uh, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr are writing letters to one another. And it's clear they hate each other, but they always end their letters with, I have the honor to be your obedient servant, right? Um, like, it's such a, a funny thing that they would write that. They're so angry. And then say, I have the honor to be your obedient servant. That was very normal for a long time. 
uh, emails. We, we, like we used to end letters with sincerely yours. And I realized like I don't, I have other sort of sign-offs on my emails. Um, Americans don't talk like this way anymore. Um, but I wonder if I shouldn't start doing that. Sincerely yours. I am yours. Um, we've removed pomp and circumstance, formality. Uh, we don't bow, we shake hands, which is a statement of equality, right? Um, because we're equal. And in general, <clears throat> Americans like to think that everyone's on the same plane socially and culturally. And so we're sort of just assuming that there's no lords, no servants. Um, and while I think that is generally a good thing, um, I think it does disincentivize us to pursue humility because we kind of don't need it because we're all equal. And so I actually don't need to lower myself in any way. We just need to keep everyone else the same. But notice how striving for equality and striving for humility are very different goals. Paul, again, in Philippians 2, tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That is not equality, right? That is humility. But I wouldn't be surprised if a community committed to humility reached equality a lot quicker than a community that was only after equality. The way to equality is everyone pursuing humility. What would it look like for us to clothe ourselves in humility in San Francisco, here at church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your calendar and finances and wardrobe? How do you address people? Who speaks? Who listens? Who asks questions? Whose needs are considered first? Who takes what task? Remember, again, from last week, the definition of healthy relationships. What are they? Healthy relationships are marked by giving and receiving, never taking and never being taken from. That requires humility. It requires mutual submission, where I actually don't have to protect honor for myself, because you outdo me in showing honor. And that frees me to really fight for your honor. Giving and receiving, never taking and never being taken from. One of the reasons um, that I wanted to linger here in verse five um, is because it's not just about pastors and non-pastors, even though that is the occasion here. In verse five, Peter specifically names age Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And a lot of commentators are thrown off by this, um, the fact that Peter addresses young people specifically, because when you read the word likewise, um, it, makes, it makes you think that he's talking about pastor, non-pastor. But then young people doesn't really make sense of that, because um, that would be an awkward term for members because members are young and old. And so why does Peter say specifically 
uh, young people. He uses a word that is not quite metaphorical, and so it feels like that is the address. And so it seems that Peter, in his final charge to the church, wanted to single out younger Christians and call them specifically to be subject to the elders. And it's worth reflecting on that and wondering why. Um, It's a good reminder for all of us to remember our age. First, to remember our age relative to one another, who is younger, who is older here in this room, and to honor that. Um, It's significant, and it should affect how we think about ourselves and how we relate to others. But again, Americans want to imagine everyone is equal, and San Francisco is kind of a community that really... um, everybody's young or wants to be young or wants to look young. Um, it's sort of the way the community is. Um, and so we, we seek to extend equality to age uh, so that we're all functionally peers as we move around this world. Um, we're all the same, but the Bible consistently calls human beings and Christians specifically to respect those who are older than them. It's all throughout the Proverbs as the height of wisdom to show respect to your elders, particularly men and women of faith. If you look through the historic confessions of faith, there's often a section on the Ten Commandments that's usually involved. So it has like doctrine, Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer. That's how most catechisms work. That's how the New City Catechism works. Um, But often in the larger catechisms, which are like many questions and very elaborate, they will expand on the commandments. And under the fifth commandment, which commands us to honor our father and mother, um, these confessions break down all kinds of ways. They include in that all kinds of relationships, not just fathers and mothers. So listen to the wording from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Question 124. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? Answer. By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. Who here cringes at the words superiors and inferiors? It's an uncomfortable set of words, right? Um, But let's keep reading. Question 127. What is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? Answer, the honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, defense, and maintenance of their persons and authority, according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love, that so they may be an honor to them and to their government. Now, this is plainly not the kind of language we use today. Um, Inferiors, superiors, reverence, obedience, like that's not stuff that we traffic when um, we don't like it. It kind of feels icky uh, to us. But it is, again, important for us not to read our baggage into old documents. And, and I would argue that even if we would update the language and sort of make it more contemporary, as opposed to Westminster Catechism, I think, is in the 1600s, is when it was written. Um, so if we update it, 
Um, every line in this answer is a good one. And I uh, read back through it just to make sure. <laughs> how, how do I feel about it? And every single line is good. It's all gold. God built the world to work and flourish and develop through a succession of generations with one generation passing on wisdom to the next generation, with, one, with older brothers mentoring younger brothers, older sisters mentoring younger sisters, older brothers mentoring sisters and older sisters mentoring brothers. Um, that's how God made the world to work. Uh, God built you to need people who are ahead of you in life and faith. And he built you to help those who are behind you in life and faith. We are not meant to figure living out on our own. We are not meant to find growth in experts. Notice how like that's how where we go as a community and as a, as a modern people. Like when we have questions, we go to experts. When for thousands of years, you were to go to your older community members, that's where you went. Um, you didn't want empty, sort of sterilized counsel. You wanted counsel from somebody who knew you, who loved you, and cared for you like a father and a mother. Uh, we need men and women who are older than us, uh, superior in age and gifts. Um, and we don't just need them. In First Peter 5, we have to submit to them. And so that's kind of hard to we gotta wrestle with. What does that mean? Uh, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And so that's an open question for you um, and for us. What do we think that entails when it comes to age and gifting? Is there a relationship that comes to mind for you where you're failing to respect someone who is superior in age or gifts? Uh, maybe you're older now. You're the superior one, and you're failing to be generous with your age and gifts in, in the heart of other people. Uh, for some of you, submission might mean like full-on mentorship where you need to seek out an elder brother or sister um, and you need to ask for commitment, time, counsel, encouragement. Um, that is a sure way to growth is to, to pursue that. Um, if not that, though, submission to elders, um, to those who are superior, uh, should mean we exhibit a humble curiosity towards those who are older than us, right? Where we have a posture of listening, uh, deference, seeking to learn, and open admiration for the fact that they are still holding on to faith in Christ longer than we have. <laughs> um, a willingness to follow their lead in disagreement simply because they're older. Um, the fact is, if someone here is 5, 10, 15 years older than you and still follows Jesus, just that extra life is worth respect and honor and curiosity. Now, the phrase, do respect, is surely an important idea, right? Um, the catechism is very careful in its language. That's why you can read back through it. It talks about like do reverence, um, obedience to their lawful counsel. So there's a lot of qualifying for somebody if you have somebody who gives you unlawful advice or does something that's not worthy of respect. Um, so all the words that we cringe at, superior, inferior, submission, obedience, they're qualified. 
Um, we're to pay due respect to our elders and superiors. Uh, when I was teaching ninth graders who have a very sensitive injustice trigger, right? Very sensitive. Um, they'd come in my class and complain about teachers or administrators or parents or whoever, all of these people who are their superiors, right? Um, you, I would never use that word with them. <laughs> they would not like it. But I remember having a conversation with him about due respect. Like what respect is due? There is such a thing as too much respect. Um, sucking up to your teacher is too much respect, right? It is respect that is not due them, and it's, it's um, unkind, unloving, and wrong, right? Ignoring abuse is too much respect, right? If you have a person in authority of you who is abusing you or abusing someone else, it is not respectful for me to ignore that, um, too much respect is undue respect, but so is too little. And as we talk about humility, as we talk about acknowledging um, the stories and time and places and gifts of others, some cultures, micro and macro, so like think us and wider, err on the side of too much respect. I think there are some cultures that sort of defer too much. I don't know if that would be a problem within our culture, in our city. Um, our culture, micro and macro, maybe errs on the side of too little. And that's a question just for us to ask and ponder. Um, as I said earlier, submission's always hard. It's always challenging. It requires humility. Um, but submission isn't as hard as you might think if you'll take time to listen to people's stories. Submission... And humility is always harder when it's based purely on like office and role and hierarchy because then you feel like, well, why, why should I submit to this person? Just because they're over you? Well, the Bible would say kind of, yeah, most of the time. Um, but um, it's so much less hard when we've heard people's stories. Um, Adam and I have the privilege of doing member interviews when someone wants to join citizens where we get to hear people's stories of following Christ and I just have to tell you, there is so much life experience in this room. There is so much wisdom here, faithfulness during hard seasons, during difficult times. There is humility and grace and thoughtfulness, and there's more of it as you move up the age, because they just had more time to be humbled. <laughs> and so... Um, that's just how character works, is that it, it grows with age. You can't rush it. But in general, it's in all of us if we would know one another's stories. And so I got to encourage you, get to know the stories of the people that you live life with. Uh, show them honor as they tell those stories. Remember those things about them. Submit yourselves to the wisdom and time and faith embodied in each of us. I want to give space beyond hypotheticals. And so just as an exercise, I want you to consider the people around you. And I want you to zero in on one person who is superior to you in some way. Uh, preferably in age, because I think that's particularly challenging. Um, but for older folks in the room... Um, the Westminster uh, Catechism also describes people who are superior in gifts, and so maybe the Holy Spirit would identify someone who's superior in gifts but not in age. 
Um, regardless, though, I'm going to give you a moment to say a short prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, who in here is one of your superiors? And if you're new to the community, is there someone in your life that you can think, this person is superior to me in age or gifts? So you got your one person? Everybody got? I want to reread the Westminster Catechism, and, and I want you to think of them in light of this. So what is the honor that you owe this person? The honor which you owe this person is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces. So you don't have to imitate the things that you don't like about them, but the virtues and graces were due imitation. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, faithfulness to, defense and maintenance of their persons and authority. Here's where we're called to care for our elders and provide for them physically, materially. According to their several ranks, so whatever office they hold in your life and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love so that they may be an honor to them and to their government. What if our church and what if the church treated people this way? Think about it in your workplace. If I were to read it, who is superior to you in your workplace? You owe your superior all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience. And what if we moved about the world in this way, inside and outside the church? And if we had time, and I encourage you, I'll maybe post it on Slack, it they, there are also questions, so it's like, what do inferiors owe superiors? There are question answers, what do superiors owe inferiors? What do equals owe equals? And so it reads all of this into the fifth commandment. How enriched would our lives be if we remembered our place? If we related to one another with humility while acknowledging the real differences in age and gift among us? If we were always conscious of our place, our age, our calling, our need, but not in a way that stifled growth, so we can think of destructive cultures where people are really stuck and frozen because they have to stay in their place, but if we were remembered in our place in a way that encouraged growth, cultivated it. We spent a long time on just one verse, but it is such a rich verse, especially for our culture that we move in. Um, and there's a promise and a threat at the end of this verse, which makes it super important um, if we want to thrive as individuals as an, and as a church. So let's read it in conclusion. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather not have God opposing me. <laughs> I don't want him opposing our church. Um, I need grace. I want grace. And this verse says that God gives grace to the humble. 
And so humility is something that I should pursue and want and think about and strive for and signal and clothe myself with. God gives grace to the humble. But humility is scary. It's vulnerable. Acknowledging weakness is scary. And in that, we look to Christ, right? When encouraging the church in humility, Paul pointed to the example of Jesus. So Philippians 2, 3, which we read early, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, that's such a vulnerable position to, to... look to the interests of others, to count others more significant than yourselves. That is an invitation to be abused and walked over, right? That's a threat that we've, it's an unsafe thing. And in that, Paul asks us to look to Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Before Jesus was Jesus, he was the eternal son of God. The Bible calls him the ancient of days. There was no one, there is no one who is older than him. Very God of very God. He need not look up to anyone. And we should all look up to him. And yet, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The language grasped is like snatched, kept. Like he didn't tightly hold on to equality with God. But he willingly made himself nothing. Again, showing that humility is better than equality. He had equality. He pursued humility. He made himself nothing, took on flesh, And then he spent 30 years humbly honoring his parents, respecting his elders, all people who were millions upon millions of years younger than him, infinite millions. And he did this because he knew and believed that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Philippians 2.8, and so he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But the miracle of the gospel is that he humbled himself not for himself. He didn't need grace from God because he had never sinned. He was God himself. He humbled himself for us. Even though mankind was proud and deserved God's eternal opposition, Jesus humbled himself on our behalf that we might receive grace. And that grace is available to us today and every day when we acknowledge our need for Jesus and submit to him as the true elder of our life, superior in age and gifts. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you when your word challenges us, when it invites us to look at the world differently, We recognize um, the many, many tragic ways that inferiors and superiors, even that language, but more than that, the actual differences of roles, differences in power, that has played out so tragically and terribly in the world. But as you 
are installing a new kingdom, as you have given us a new heart, as you have given us a family with brothers and sisters, some older, some younger, you are inviting us to a new way of being, a way where we are cared for, where we are mentored, where we are loved, where we are instructed, and where we get to care for, mentor, love, and instruct others. Father, would this be a church community that is marked by outdoing one another and showing honor, and not in an empty way like Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, but in a true way based on our real stories where we could hear people's stories, we could see people for who they are and give honor to them and to God for the miraculous work that he's done in each of our lives. Would we be a church that's marked by humility, where we would be clothed with it so that when people are around us, they would see it, they would sense it, And would you give us faith and courage to do that even when it's tested, even when we're abused for our humility, taken advantage of? Would we still commit to humility because God gives grace to those who are humble? We thank you for Jesus who led the way. We can follow his example. He paved a path for us in his humility, even to the cross. Uh, Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us. Help us to honor him with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.